Hey, this is Nick Brophy from River Dogs, and you're listening to Focus on Metal. Hey, Metalhead, Scott here. And Richie. And as promised, we are back bringing you episode 340 of Focus on Metal. How we doing, man? I'm okay. I can't see you. I know, huh? <laughs> We're in a new studio. I'll have to, like, I, I got to get probably get some longer leads and maybe we can just, like, <laughs> sit out in the chairs or whatever. But, yeah, I mean, I made this to kind of be more of a more of a show workstation on this one so you're like not in the corner yeah well you're the, you do all the work down here so you can do whatever the hell you want it's just you, like i can't see you <laughs> you kind of got your own like you got a place to put your questions now books beer beer you're, you're all good phone <laughs> everything just a phone anyway but uh yeah so uh obviously uh move the studio and uh, as promised uh, we are back once again bringing you more focus on metal so how you been doing i'm doing great yeah, yeah good f- found a place yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, it's easy to find. Nah, it's not too bad. It's not a little bit further than where it used to be, but that's yeah. no problem. Yeah, well, probably not as far as my next hop will be, so. That's true, <laughs> that's true. Ah, shit happens, life. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but anyways, this is uh, this is it right now, and I mean, it's comfortable, reasonably yeah. quiet, mm-hmm. good, good reverb. Good acoustics. <laughs> <laughs> A little different, a little different acoustics, but uh, yeah, it took a little bit of work getting all the studio stuff over here and uh, and setting it up and even, uh, you know, doing editing the last couple of nights seemed okay. And then getting ready for tonight, I'm like, oh yeah, shit, I got to check all these channels out. And it was like, ah, oh, this isn't working, that isn't working. So a little scrambled, had to reroute a few things, but, uh, and I got a few other like hookups I got to do for our Skype headphones and things like that. But Stuff I haven't a clue about. But uh, that'll all... Uh, That'll all come together. Just been, been busy packing, unpacking. <laughs> yeah, well, when we needed a break, this is why we needed a break. Yeah, well, yeah. You well, did. We, we take it for the summer, anyways. A couple weeks during the summer, anyways. Yeah, but uh, great to be back, and um, obviously, great guest this week with Nick Brophy. He did a great interview with him. So yeah, deal. Was, um, I was offered Nick, and uh, of course, like most people know River Dogs. Did yeah. Vivian, right? Or maybe Rob. And I, I was offered, um, I was offered Nick, and I said, yeah, sure, I'll interview Nick. So of course, I, I looked up what he's, what he'd done. Yeah, and he has this huge, yeah, he's hugely popular production <laughs> career, yeah. which I knew nothing of. Yeah, and I was able to talk to him about that in the end of the interview. But um, yeah, just a really nice guy. Another guy, uh, another guy lives in Nashville. Yep, they're you know, all there. It's either Vegas, Nashville, or Los <laughs> Angeles. And if you're trash metal and probably New York, but yeah, Nashville just has a ton of musicians down there, and he's yeah. been there for a while. Yeah, now. yeah. Well, it's, I mean, it's for a guy like him, it's a good scene to do because he can do a session, whether as a producer or a musician, doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. You know, it works out for him. He's got a lot of contacts. So yeah, that's where Michael Wagner is, isn't it? That is where Michael Wagner. I'm is. sure there's uh, a couple more down there. Is um, what's the guy that uh, Carnival of Souls? Toby Wright is he down in? Nashville? I think he is. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a, I think any place like that that becomes popular just attracts all these people. Yeah, well, well my understanding too is I guess it's just a pretty nice place to live as well. So, I'm sure, I'm sure. Uh, I mean, that's where, uh, I mean, the Decibel Geek guys are based yeah. down there as well. So. That's where the, um, I think the, the, the expo. The, I believe so, yeah. yeah. The podcast expo is going on. Yeah. And, and so that should be. That should be a lot of fun. They've got some cool guests on that, so good for them, you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think that was a great idea. Uh, you know, it's too bad we couldn't do it this time, but uh, no, you know, it would be nice of them to think much, of us. Too much going on. Yeah, yeah. You know, like Victor can't go. Like, he's in Barcelona. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, we all got we got invited down, but, um, you know, we just couldn't go. It's just too much going on yeah. in life and everything. We just, you know, at this time... You know, I, I can't say, I've just moved jobs and I'm, I'm there a couple of months. I can't say it to the wife, oh, by the way, the, 
the really small amount of vacation I've gotten yeah. for the year. Yeah. I'm not going to use that on the family. I'm just going to go down <laughs> to a, a podcast right. expo in Nashville for three days. Yeah. yeah. And uh, then I'll be, uh, the, the locks will be changed <laughs> and uh, I'll be moving somewhere else too. Yeah. 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 I don't know. Well, I got some room here. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of room. Well, yeah. Buy another beanbag. Yeah. <laughs> fucking killing each other. <laughs> But, but um, yeah, let's talk about the, the Iron Maiden show. Yeah, so, I mean, that was, you know, speaking about having vacation time and stuff, because that was definitely, uh, I, I know I killed my girlfriend with two shows last week. With Who was the other one? Foreigner. Foreigner and Cheap Trick Oh, you on went? Monday. Okay, yeah. we can talk about that, too. Yeah, and then we did, and then obviously doing Maiden, and again, she just had changed jobs, so she's got squat for V-Time as well, and she's trying to, you know, parcel that out, so it was kind of rough doing that, and then kind of crawling into work the next day i mean i had last week off so it was like all i had to do was crawl back here oh you bastard <laughs> but i i was still i mean i i spent the whole day up i was packing and oh i'm sure you're over yeah, and, busy here yeah yeah so i yeah i just i could have probably come back and just went to bed for the rest of the day but no i i, I worked the day but yeah um I mean, we'll talk about maiden first um is that the first one no that was wednesday okay go on let's yeah let's do maiden then cause and I went to uh, that too. and uh you know Obviously sold out, like, um, even she looked around and was like, oh, my God, I've never seen this this full. And, I mean, you just, all you saw was people going all the way up, all the seats up the lawn. Just, lawn as well. I've never seen the lawn as packed. And it was, uh, and it, I, someone else I asked about, um, he was saying, yeah, I, he, he noticed that you could still get some lawn seats from, like, a couple of days before, but then, like, the day of, it's like, even that, you couldn't get, it, it was nothing. Um, and, um, I know that, you know, you got stuck in traffic. I got stuck in, I was out on 495 for like an hour and a half. I got there, Maiden were on at nine. I got there at about 15 minutes to nine. Yeah. Uh, so I didn't see ghost at all. Um, and I got to my seat and I didn't move. And I think nine, nine o'clock, bang on nine. Yeah. Maiden were on. Yeah. And I fit, well, I didn't even get to see you. And uh, I figured you were already there. And then I get a text message about <laughs> past nine. I've just gotten here. I've never seen the traffic as bad. The yeah. traffic was brutal. Yeah, it was really bad. I was even, I was hoping to, to meet up with Allison and Paul. Uh, I, you know, I apologize, Paul. I really wanted to meet up with you guys. But uh, again, we were, we were stuck out on 495 with everybody else. Um, even just getting in was like insane because I, I ended up, I bought the Premier Park. I figured it was going to be crazy. Like the 50 bucks one? Yeah, I went yeah. in there because it was easy in, easy out. Crazy, I had to. This is what was crazy, though. Like, so we we pull in, right? And now we're on the far right hand lane to yeah. get in. Yeah, you got to be in the far left hand lane to get to out. get to parking. Oh, to, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So of course, the first thing I do is I put the air thing on the truck and I jack the truck up to its full height because now I'm going to be a dick and be like, I've got a huge truck. I'm going to cut off, cut you off to get over four lanes, which is mm-hmm. what I did mm-hmm. to get over there. But then they were, I could hear like a bunch of guys working the venue that were like, oh my God, all these people have premier parking. What are we going to do? I'm thinking, what? And I'm looking up ahead. I can see the sold out sign. And I'm like, well, I know I bought parking. Like, this is going to be bullshit. And a couple of cars in front of me, they had this big white pickup back up and pull in to like this little road off to the side where like a Toyota truck display was. They parked him in front of this display. And then they started taking other people that had premier parking and just had them pulling diagonally up on the lawn, right off, right off the driveway, right up on the lawn, which to me, first of all, I'm thinking they pay for premier parking, which part of it is like you said, easy out. Yeah. No one's going to let these guys back out of those spots. No chance. You're on the grass. You're screwed. (laughs) Right. And and I'm thinking, what's Premier Park going to look like when we get up there? So as we're, we're driving, so I'm just paying attention to the traffic. And, and I said, Nick, t- just take a look up there. Tell me, you know. And she's like, there's tons of spots. What? So we pull up. The girl looks at my ticket. She goes, yep, go ahead. We pull to the top of the hill. In the first row, there's a Jersey barrier. So we go to the, so we look down, and, like, the row's about half full. We just pull to the second row, bring all the way around, and park in the first row. And we had at least five spots to either side of us. And when we left, they were still empty. It's like, why were they pulling people? It wasn't even like there was a line. It wasn't even like going in there was holding up the line. 
but these guys are just pulling people off. Amateurs. I was like, what the hell? But we got in there and um, stopped. I went and got a beer. And, uh, yeah, we got over to the seats. And they were already, like, into the second song when we got over there. Speed of light, yeah. Um, so when we got there in the second song, I said, yeah, you know, so you got a little bit of time. And, uh, I mean, it's it's a long, well, a lot of their songs lately are long, right? So we got in there, but, um, I mean, just great show. Just phenomenal. My big thing, though, was it was hot as fuck. Yeah, it was Not hot. that the band's fault, but it was brutally hot, and I was just... Literally dripping, soaking wet. I was amazed. Uh, Bruce Dickinson came out with a long pair of brown trousers uh-huh. and a black hoodie. Yep. And I was thinking, he's going to melt. Yeah. And he took it off at some stage in the set and he had a, like a black vest on. Yeah. Then he put the fucking thing back on. But the thing is with that, because a couple of people asked me about that. And and I even asked um, I asked another guy that went up the, the guy that had asked me about going to Montreal with him, the last tour leg like, to go see him, and that's exactly what he wore on that show too, same outfit, which tells me they're doing the same thing they did like on the six 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 tour, where their guys are wearing the same thing every single night, so that they can videotape all of that and from one night to the they could just be like oh we'll take this performance from this night and this one from this night. And they're all, and it's the same same stage set, and they can just do that. Yeah, I suppose. But he's a freaking trooper because he, I was dripping, and I'm looking up he there. Ran and he was and dripping. ran and ran yeah. and ran. So the the disappointing thing, um, besides getting there so damn late, was um, either I know at one point the mic just went and died on him, he, and he was yeah. like, "What the hell?" But I noticed sometimes he was he would go for a part and then you'd hear nothing. So I didn't know if the mic was cutting out, if he was holding it too far away, because they're also one of these bands that still uses the wedge monitors as opposed to a, a whole bunch of in-ears. It's like, is he hearing that he's, you know, is the mix not right for him on stage and, and that? But he did have a lot of that. But considering the heat and what he, like you said, what he was wearing, like, well, a great show. Yeah, the music... In the beginning, was sounded br- great. His v- vocals were in and out. Yeah. Um. I think the part you're talking about, it, it, the end of Fear of the Dark. Yeah. His vocals, like the <laughs> mic fucked up. Yeah. And um, I think one of the songs after that, there was a mic stand, and one of the roadies came out and he turned around and said into the mic, "Can we get off stage? It's fucked." <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> But um, I thought I thought the show was phenomenal. Um, I loved all the new stuff. Yeah. I, um, I thought the red and the black, and the book of souls, the song itself was phenomenal. Yeah. yeah. I I loved that song, especially when it kicks in in the middle of it. I was like, oh, fucking fantastic. Yeah, and that was. I mean, that was a good thing too. Like I didn't go and research the set or anything like that. Um, but I did see a lot of feedback of people that were saying like too much new stuff that they're only going to play a bunch of new stuff. So they really weren't going to go because that's, and I thought, okay, I know that they took, you know, back and, um, which one was it? Um, can't even think of the album it was they toured, but, um, they did like almost all new stuff entirely. And they took a lot of flack. Matter of life and death. did it Exactly. The that's the one I'm thinking of. Yeah. Um, and I mean, they were honest about it, saying, "Look, yeah, we're gonna we we toured, we did the new stuff. Next tour, we'll maybe we'll do a more of a nostalgic one, which was fine. But I thought they did a good a good mix of this one. I think you know? the, I think the only song that shocked was uh, if you hadn't seen the set list was Blood Brothers in the encore. Hmm. I think that was like wow, they're playing that in the encore. Like the rest of them, you get, you know, the trooper, yeah, you know, Power Slave was a great addition. The song yeah. itself. Um, you know, they did Ratchild, they did Iron Maiden. What, like, they nearly did one song off all all the classic albums. I thought it was a really good mix of it was very good of stuff, and they played a shitload of new stuff. What was surprising oh, was the new album. I mean, um, Allison was telling me that where they where they were um, when they played Ratchild, a lot of people like they had no reaction to it, like they didn't even know the song. <laughs> like, and I understand that you kind of got a multi generational audience, but I'm like, come on, it's Maiden, it's Wrathchild. 
really? You don't know Wrathchild? Uh, but yeah, the, she says, yeah, there's a lot of people who had no idea what the song was. Uh, I think surprising. The, I think the trooper probably got the, the loudest cheer, especially in the first half of the set. Yeah. Because um, they kept bringing on the backdrops. Mm-hmm. So you could tell. Um, but, uh, you know, you ever seen a band move as much merch as them? I've been at a lot of, maybe Kiss. So that was one thing that bummed me out too. So I, you know, they made it an offer to get the any of that stuff ahead of time. So I was like, well, that I know people are going to be just queued up like crazy buying Maiden merch. So if I want to get the the tour shirt, like I'll just I'll just pre-order the toy tour shirt. So that's what I ended up doing. But what bummed me out is that they had an event shirt. Yeah, they had for each tour each date. That's right. And for me, it was kind of a bigger deal because the event shirt was Eddie as Paul Revere. Yeah. Well, I'm related to Paul mm-hmm. Revere, and um. So I was like, oh, and I didn't even realize that was going to be the shirt. They put a graphic out a few days before, and I thought, cool graphic. But um, Allison had texted me and said, hey, they got this a great British is coming shirt. And I was thinking, oh, shit. She's like, you got to get here fast because they're selling out. Well, and, was that a venue only? Yeah. Thing? Oh. And, uh, and she said that when they got to the merch booth, they only had like small, medium, and extra large. And I was like, and when we got there, I just, like you said, they sell a lot of merch. And and so between walking in and our seats, I think we passed like five merch booths. None of them had it. None. Yeah, I've never seen a band move merch at a live gig like this band. Yeah. Ever. And I've been to a shitload of gigs. Mm-hmm. And they must have had, I'm going to say at least, at least 10 different types of t-shirts. Yeah. All at $40 a go. Yeah. And there was people queuing up to avoid them. Yeah. I think the only one that probably moves more, I don't know, though. Um, the last Stones tour that I went to, so that was like 2003, maybe. There were people that were easily laying down six to $700. Where was that, though? The Garden. Same size venue. You're roughly, yeah. yeah. Okay. And these people were buying, just, it was like, oh my God, the, the, the stuff, they were, it was almost like, give me one of everything kind of a thing. The internet was around in 2003, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can never understand that. But I was like, wow. I just, I was amazed. Um, but I think probably, I probably, it probably was more notable because I probably saw, you know, a certain number of people doing that. And it was kind of more like, holy shit, where I think you're right with Maiden you got a whole venue of people that are probably buying one to two shirts a piece, if not more. So they probably did move more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. They sell a lot of merch. That's why I, I, that's why I just said, you know what? I'm going to just get it ahead of time. And then if I want to wear it to the show, I, I do. If not, I'm, I, I've just got it mm. done. What time did you get home? Uh, well, we didn't get back here. I went to her house because that's closer, way closer. Um, so I think... I think we're I think we're home by a little bit past eleven. We left after the first song in the encore. Well, you didn't even stay till the end. Nope. Oh, I did. Nope. Because we could see after that first song that lots of people were leaving at yeah. that point. And it was like, all right, and because she had to work, and uh, knowing how crappy it was getting into parking, it was like, you know what? I don't trust the easy out part of this at all and there really wasn't anybody when we got to my truck there wasn't anybody like letting people out at that point so yeah. um and like i said i she had to get to work i couldn't be sitting in traffic for hours i got out of there i waited i stayed for the whole set yeah and the minute they finished wasted years and they even before they bowed I was already on the way out yeah and i was in my car at 11 minutes past 11 and I was in my front door at 12.10. That's good time. Yeah, I got out, no problem. That's good time. I was really, and I was up at five for work the next yeah. day. Yeah. That was the bummer. Like, but did you do premiere for that? Uh, no, there's a private parking lot just as you get off the highway. Oh, on the right. right off of that. Okay. I, I went in there because All I right. knew it was easy out. I've been in there before. Yeah. And I had to, I could not get home at two o'clock in the morning. Yeah, well, that's why I was saying it. Because the other thing is, I mean, there... 
you have to then you're like you get out, then you got to be like, all right, where the hell did I park? Then you got to find your car in the dark. Yeah, and then make the weaving thing to to get to the exit. Yeah, that's too. another thing about that car 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 park down there. The lighting is terrible, yeah. awful. So at least Premier parking is it's well lit. Yeah, you know, and but yeah, the the main lots is like. You said the lighting is is shit. It's shit. So you got to like, you're disoriented. You've been in there for a couple of hours and then you're like, crap. Okay. I know I'm in this lot, but it's freaking huge. And then you got to figure out how you're going to wind your way back out. Mm-hmm. And they've got all kinds of like, oh shit, now that's barrier. Now I got to go another way and all that. But now I understand how you got out so fast. It's like once they get lot. you in there, they don't give a fuck how you get out. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. The bastards. Yeah. <laughs> So let's talk about the other show you went to. Oh, Foreigner. so Foreigner, yeah. So it was, uh, it was, it was, uh, Bank of it was Jason Bonham, uh, Jason Bonham's Zeppelin Experience. It was uh, Cheap Trick, and um, it was in uh, Foreigner, uh, down at the Pavilion. Now, Jason Bonham Experience, um, totally missed. Was it just you missed? I was going to say because I know, I know a friend of mine went to see it last weekend in New yeah. Jersey, and he said it was just him playing Zeppelin songs. There was yeah. no video screens. None of that. Huh. Yeah, I totally missed it. Um, we got down there because, again, she had to work. So time we got in there, I had already pre-bought parking, the, the lot across from Harpoon. Mm-hmm. So I already pre-bought that. That's a sweet thing to do. And just show my phone. Oh, okay. Boom. And uh, and it's cheaper. So we you know, zip in there. But then figured, all right, go eat. So we went over to Tony C's and we ate. And we, and we walked by the venue. I could hear jason on and uh so when we were walking back she's like yeah i wonder when that first band goes on i'm like when we were walking by what you heard that was the first band on around seven yeah yeah i'm like that's that was bonham she's like oh so we got in cheap trick was already on um they did a good set sold out um it, it looked pretty well like it was sold out yeah yeah um what's it hold there about seven or eight thousand um, if that, I think it's six. Yeah, I wouldn't. It's nowhere near what Maiden, yeah. Maiden was like twenty something. Um, but it was, it was, it looked like it was sold out, and uh, so Cheap Trick did great. Um, and I'm, then I'm not, I'm, I'm not a huge fan. But I've seen, like, you know, there's been things of in the past of them kind of just phoning it in and being like, you know, like, all right, we're here, we're gonna collect the paycheck and leave. Mm. But it, they weren't that. They they actually had a had a good set and uh, sounded really good and, um, you know, seemed to have some energy there, sort of. Uh, but, yeah, Foreigner came on, did a great job. Jeff, as usual, running around, being a crazy man. Mick Jones play? Mick Jones played, yep. How much of the set? All of it. He played all of it? The whole set, yeah. Okay. Um, and, uh, yeah, pretty pretty good mix of set, and the crowd was getting into it. And Yeah, it was, like I said, I think... Uh, Jeff really is the guy that kind of adds the between him and Kelly kind of really the Kelly's energy. Bru- Kelly's you know? a brilliant singer, and, and, he, can't, and he did he great. Can't, you can't go wrong with that catalog yeah. of songs. Yeah, if you can't get a crowd jumping for the for those hits, yeah, you know it's yeah. hit after hit after hit after hit. Yeah, well, they did do. Uh, I guess the one that like everyone sat down as they pulled out Star Rider off the first one. Oh, did they? Yeah, nice. And it was kind of like all right, like everybody sat down. Uh, <laughs> I think. Um, I think just after the show, you went to Lou Graham and Ian MacDonald turned up at one of the gigs in New York. Really? And he came out and he did a long, long way from home. Uh-huh. And uh, Lou sounded pretty, he sounded pretty good. Like, yeah. he's old. Uh-huh. He's not, a, he's not as good a singer as Kelly Hansen, but yeah. he, gave, he gave it a, gave it his all. Yeah. That's he good. sounded pretty good. Yeah. And uh, from what I saw in the video, Mick Jones started crying when they came out. Huh. The two of them have been through a lot together, you that's know, health-wise. That's and, a good song for them to have done. Mm. You know, it's, he didn't it, do a ballad, which I liked. No, yeah, not a ballad, but it's done. also not a not a, um, a real like power song. It's it's got a kind of a good mid tempo, and and that uh, you know just kind of the range he has to sing in isn't like reaching or anything. So that's a great choice. Yeah, you know. So he yeah. So it was a good gig. Uh, it was funny. I was talking to um, a guy today, and he was asking me if I'd gone to to Slayer down there, and I I really didn't give it a thought. I was like, I'm not really, you know, a huge Slayer guy. Lamb of God and yeah. Bohemoth. And, and, and he said, and, and so we're talking, and it just occurred to me, I was like, 
wait a minute, Slayer at the Pavilion. And I asked him, I said, Did, what happened with the pits? And he's like, oh, yeah, they were trying to do, like, pits in the aisles. And every time they tried, they, they'd stop and stuff. I was thinking. Yeah, it's all cedar. Yeah, I'm like, that's, <laughs> that is not a venue for, like, a Slayer show or any, any kind. Yeah, it's like, what? I just, yeah, I, and I didn't really excited. I didn't think about it. But um, I guess that, got, that was pretty well sold, too. But, like, who the heck booked them into the pavilion? <laughs> like, <laughs> they don't care to get paid. You know, that's just, wow, crazy. It is kind of an odd place, but the thing of it's Slayer, to be back in five months. Like Megadeth, they'll be around in five or six months again, yeah. so you get an opportunity to see him again. Yeah, yeah. You know, but having Slayer in an all-seater venue, is you're asking for trouble. Yeah, I mean, it's a good venue for things like, you know, like Foreigner and stuff. I mean, it's it's a nice venue. I, mean, we, I purposely buy tickets on the ocean side. It's good for us old people you to know? sit down. Well, except for Star Rider, I, st- I stood. Everyone around us stood. Yeah. The whole set. Yeah. But the Slayer gig, that's not a venue for Slayer. Any place, like, you need an open floor. Or at yeah. Somewhere near the stage, you have to have an open floor. Yeah, yeah. and they, they just don't have that there. Yeah, can yeah. you imagine the front row of a Slayer gig, like, <laughs> hell awaits and rain and blood, and all these guys sitting there just tapping their feet, sitting down? It's not going to fucking happen. Yeah. It's dumb. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh. Yeah, in fact, yeah, it was, I was driving to... Ikea to pick some stuff up last week and uh, I'm stuck in traffic and all of a sudden on satellite radio you get post-mortem and into rain and blood and I'm aggravated I'm sitting in traffic and I'm thinking this is not the song I should be listening to right now I just want to start driving over people and <laughs> uh, fucking great. that's a fucking great song post-mortem is brilliant <laughs> yeah, I'm uh, a bigger Slayer fan than you are yeah but um, I might have an interview actually with someone from Slayer might God knows what's going to happen there, though. So, anyways, um, we've rambled on for a bit. Uh, I definitely think a uh, good time to uh, run the great interview you did with Nick. And, uh, yeah, I mean, in that amount of time, you got a lot of stuff in with him, which was which was pretty good. I was amazed by uh, how well it went. I had half an hour, yeah. and I spoke to him for half an hour. Yeah, and it, like I said, it went really well. Yeah, there was so. a lot. I, got a, I actually did get a lot in. Yeah. Um, I think he was probably surprised at some of the questions, like the production thing. And, you know, I, I think one of the thing, great things about talking to the likes of Nick, it, because we've spoken to so many producers in the past, mm-hmm. we kind of know where to go with them. Yep. You know, we don't just say, what was it like working with Avril Lavigne? What was it like working with this band? Yep. You know, we were able to ask, ask, you know, about the, you know, dealing with egos and all that kind mm-hmm. of shit that maybe a lot of people won't ask these guys. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, I, think it, I think I said it, I think it went really well and, and for the amount of time you were given, it was like, wow, yeah, you actually covered a lot of bases on this. So, mm. yeah, it was good. It was, went well. Yeah. Oh, cool. So uh, why don't we roll that? Hi, Nick. It's uh, Richie from Focus on Metal. How are you doing? Hey, Richie. I'm doing good. You're in Nashville, are you? I'm in Nashville, yeah. All right, nice. I was down in that neck of the woods a few years ago. I loved it down there. 
Yeah, yeah, it's nice. Oh. I like it here, too. I moved out here from California, from Southern California. But it's been a while now. It's been since 03. And I, I really do like Nashville. There's there's a lot of music going on here, a lot of opportunity for those of us that work in it. Yeah, there's a lot of hard rock musicians out there as well. I know. I, I'm, I'm surprised at that, too. I got here, and there's, like, Mark Slaughter from Slaughter lives here. Uh, I think the guy... Um, uh, from Cinderella was here, <laughs> and there's like, I mean, and there's tons of tons of bands, and there's there's a lot of uh, uh, band members that live here. A friend of mine the other day was saying that uh, he was in he lives in New York and he was on his way to Nashville, and the singer from Accept was on his way to go lay down his vocals for the new record in Nashville. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, I think Kip Winger lives down your your area as well. Yeah, he does. I've seen him driving around in his red Jeep. <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure if you go to Starbucks, you're bound to run into somebody, you know. <laughs> I know, it's so true. Yeah. So I want to talk, get into the new album, the new River Dogs album, California, um, which I've had for about a week now, and I love it. But uh, when did you start hearing talk about actually doing a new record? Yeah. Yeah, and how it came about. Yeah, when did you when did you start hearing rumors that you were actually going to make a new album? Yeah, well, that was um, Vivian actually. He, I think he group text or or maybe even called us all and said that he had done a record on Frontiers uh, Records, which is an Italian record label, um, with a band uh, called Last in Line, and they had also done with one with Def Leppard, and the label president uh, asked him. He said, "Hey, if you're band the river dogs ever wanted to do an album we would love to do one with that project so he reached out to us to see if we were interested and of course we were um we we were more interested not in the you know like the big picture of the result of an album but just the getting together as friends that we've been for all these years and just playing some music together and um uh i live in Nashville. rob lives in in canada and Mark, the drummer, and Viv live in Los Angeles. So logistically, it's it's infrequently that we ever get together. So this was an excuse for that, mostly. <laughs> that was the 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 uh, appeal initially. But then, as we got into it, we um, uh, I think Mark and Vivian got together at Mark's um, home studio and initially got uh, three or four kind of guitar drum ideas started. And that really started inspiring. One of those, I think the very first idea that they sent turned out to be uh, Something Inside, the song Something Inside off the album. Um, and I remember Rob was really inspired. He was like, oh, that sounds like a Robin Trower kind of riff. And he was very enthused, you know, to get started. So um, that was how it all began. Now, t- tell me about the difficulty in actually scheduling it. Because you're super busy. I'm sure Rob is busy. And, of course, Vivian is doing Last in Line, Def Leppard. He's everywhere. Yes, exactly. Yeah, that was part of the... Uh, actually, it ended up being a very good thing because scheduling is difficult. Um, and, of course, we were all wanting to open up our, our, our schedules and our calendars to accommodate us getting together. But um, what resulted is that we, we really had to um, uh, block out a week you know, or basically five days in, in Los Angeles um, at a time. We did two trips during last summer uh, out to California, Rob and I, and met up with uh, the guys. And Mark had arranged a, a home, uh, a friend of his house that had, we were able to set up a whole band set up in there, amps and drums and PA, and kind of jam out some ideas. And the good part of that was that we, we really, had to focus and just get the job done. We had limited time, and it added a nice bit of, um, I guess, uh, you know, energy and spontaneity to the result, uh, as opposed to getting all kinds of time <laughs> at your dis- disposal and then the laboring over stuff, which can sometimes take the um, the energy out of, out of the result. Yeah. So uh, we did two trips like that where we wrote for three days and then we recorded little roughs 
of them at Mark's house, his home studio, and uh, and then went home and kind of like um, took a little break and then came back and did another trip and did that twice and each time writing six songs and that's all we wrote for this record and and um, ten of them are on the the record and then there's a bonus track on the Japanese so we there's this one idea we didn't finish <laughs> oh, basically nice. so every, yeah. everything is brand new there's nothing that was from years ago you didn't stop no, any of the demos no, right no. no it's all brand new um, and even the songs that weren't done on the spot there there's two that I can think of um, one was um, your two rock and roll which Mark brought in and he, he I should say he brought in the music for that he brought in the full idea but I don't I never heard the the, the lyric or the melody that he had on his version he basically just played the music for it and Rob started his own uh, take on it from there so that was brought in by Mark and then there was a song uh, let's say American Dream um, Rob wrote with his son Xander uh, in Canada and brought that song in I believe we're just um, on the spot, and that or Vivian had a few iPhone um, kind of guitar riff ideas that he would reference and 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 then start playing. So yeah, that's kind of how. It, but I love it. I love it. It all came together so quickly and easily, as uh, this band kind of tends to do it. When we get together in a room, we uh, we all can kind of move forward, and and there's it's. It's really quick how things come together, and each person has their own strength with, with um, you know, kind of progressing on a song idea, and uh, yeah, it's it was painless. Yeah, now writing quickly is that something you like to do with your with the other acts that you work with, or is this this a completely new to you? Yeah, no, it's it's it's. Um, uh, there's different ways and different. It depends on the artist and the style of song you're writing. Um, it seems to me that 90% of the time, that something that comes out quickly is usually the ends up being the best thing. Now, there's some things that you maybe want to spend time on a lyric and really craft it. Um, but a lot of times, things kind of come out and they come out all at once. And you have to really w w roll with that and get that it, it, while you're while you can. Um, so yeah, I would say that uh, that I that I do that kind of as often as I can. You know, um, I kind of encourage just kind of rolling with something and not overthinking it. Sometimes you can tend to um, uh, maybe try to focus in too closely on a result, and then you don't let yourself open 
for anything that might be better than your preconceived idea, you know? And I find that if you just kind of roll with something, then, then it might turn out better than you had in your mind to start with. Yeah. Is it difficult to be objective when you're in the band and you're the producer of the band as well? Well, um, I mean, there's in, there's times when that can happen. With this band, it's not that that way because basically I'm just capturing performances, you know? And we all kind of know when a, when a performance is good or bad, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just hitting record and I'm, and I'm, you know, waiting for the take that sounds the closest to, to, you know, to the energy that we were all hoping for and then go in and fix those spots here or there. And, um, you know, providing an environment that's really, uh, um, inspiring. That's, that's the other thing, you know, just, yeah. you know, we, we, we all have that already. Sometimes you have to create that for, for an artist, but, um, we are comfortable around each other and also, there's not very any drama in this band, you know, to interfere with the creative process. And, um, you know, Rob is fully capable of recording himself. You know, he's got a studio at home and stuff, but he uh, came to my house in Nashville to do the vocals because he just wanted that extra person, you know, to, to inspire and um, a different environment so that he could, he could just be there for the task, you know, mm-hmm. and, um, and I was coaching him along and if there were parts that he needed to finish and complete, I would offer my help and suggestion and, and just try to get a great sound on his vocal and his headphones so he could just deliver what he wanted to do. That is that simple. Yeah. Now we've had many acts from frontiers on the show and some of them, the label get heavily involved in how the album sounds and others they're left to their own devices. Well, what what way yeah. did they approach you? Did they say, right, we're going to leave you do the album, you know what to do, or did they say, I want the album to sound like this? Yeah, well, um, both of those. <laughs> initially, <laughs> they said, initially they said, I want the, I, we we would hope that the album sounds like the first record and not um, World Gone Mad because they didn't care for that record as much, you know, mm-hmm. and and. And so they, they had us reference that first album as what they were expecting. And that was a real eye-opener for us as a band because Work On That was a pretty unfocused project. That was more just, again, for fun, like, oh, let's get together and play some music, you know? Mm-hmm. See what happens. And um, this was like everybody's, uh, you know, there's big fans of the first album from 1990. And there's a very, um, I guess, consistent feel and spirit about that album from start to finish. And the label likes that. So let's go for that. Let's get go for not an updated version, but a continuation of that first album. Not only in theme, but in sound, you know, the sound uh, similarity. Mm-hmm. And part of how we went about that was Vivian actually um, got all the original amps that we used on that first album. Uh, he had them in storage uh, and, and he hadn't used them in years, you know, and we raided the storage locker and brought all that gear and, and used that same gear that was on that first album for the new album. Yeah, that's uh, We also went for a big room sound on the drums, you know, a natural sound, not, not a bunch of heavy samples and stuff because, our our music is less metal as it is bluesy rock, you know. Yeah. And we wanted more of a natural sound to the drums, and tried to 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 do it just with with a big room and just mock amazing sounding drums as they are, and not supplement them with a bunch of you know samples that can make it sound uh, you know I guess more processed and more slick, you know, mm-hmm. and um. And that combined with with Vivian's original amps that he used, which are all over that first record, uh, and then also I guess something that's kind of part of that first album is not a big stack of background vocals. Although there are nice harmonies on that first uh, record, they're just individual. They're not rarely doubled. You know, it's just a, a, a high part above the melody and a low part. Yeah, and 
and that's it, you know? Just keep mm-hmm. it simple. <laughs> yeah. hard to do sometimes now because you have so many options. Yeah, that's but, a- uh, that was our goal, and it helped us to stay on course, you know? Yeah, that's, just, that's- uh, like. Yeah, that's one of the things I love when you mentioned about Vivian getting the amps out, that when he did the last in-line record, he used the guitar that he used to record those early Dio albums on, so it's great that he actually still has all this equipment to get the vibe I know, right? I was like, I don't have that. I sell everything over the years. I get bored of something and get rid of it and wish always later that I still had it. But he has all of that stuff. In fact, I believe in the in the video for uh, American Dream, the black Les Paul he's playing is the, is the same Les Paul he played on all that uh, Dio stuff. Yeah. That, these, yeah. These guitarists, they never get rid of anything. <laughs> they just, I know. They just keep adding to it. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Yeah, good. I'm glad. Yeah, one of the things I love about the album is the variety in it. But I, I do want to get into a couple of different tracks on it. And the first track, "American Dream," I can honestly see Joe Elliott from Def Leppard singing that. Yeah, you know, and I think that's the hey, 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 you know. Yeah. Um, and and uh, that was part of the idea that Rob brought in. Uh, I I mentioned before that he he and his son Xander had worked up that idea first, and I think that was kind of referencing the first record um and that song was maybe like an i believe you know off the first record it was kind of like our our take on an uh on that tempo and that kind of feel so um he in, included in that idea with the with the haze and um i think vivian was the one that suggested we keep we double that up and and do it twice as long twice as many times you know and yeah. so that's a big part of it but um, but uh, yeah, I I I think that one is probably uh, to me it's it's a bit different than the rest of the album. Not in a bad way. It's just like there aren't any more that are similar similar to that one on the rest of the album. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the, the the other I think my favorite track is uh, Revolution Starts Tonight. I just love that's completely different to the first to, to American Dream. Right. Yeah. And I think that that one sounds a lot like like a continuation of that first record, like a, a, like Holy War or something like that, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, I like that one, too. And that one was done when we were well into the writing. Uh, I don't know if that was the second batch of rights that we did in California or the first batch, but I know it wasn't. It wasn't the, the the first or last one that we wrote. It was in the middle middle there somewhere, and um, we were kind of on a roll with how how we uh, were writing. And that that is that Viv would start playing something, and Rob would start singing a melody, 
and possibly a phrase, you know, like a uh, some of that he, a lot of the courses he had uh, there, it was the verses that he worked on later in, at, at home in Canada. So um, I think that that was one of those that that was in the middle that came together rather quickly. Yeah, I, I, I'm curious. Um, the album is very varied. Um, did, did you guys sit down when you were beginning and writing a song and say, look, we need a rock song, we need a slower song, we need a bluesier song, or did you guys just write? We just wrote. Literally, we just wrote. Okay. Um, I think there's always that um, that anticipation when you're working on an idea. It's like, oh, this covers the such and such, but you're not you're not changing it to accommodate that. You just kind of realize it as it's going. Um, and some of them were faster, and some of them like. I think the last two songs that we were doing, uh, well, actually, I should say, I think the first, uh, there was two writing trips. The first one, uh, I believe that one of the ballads we wrote at the very end, <laughs> and then the second trip, uh, I think I Don't Know Anything was the very last song that we wrote. And those were kind of winding down, right? Mm-hmm. That's the very end of the rights, and so we, those were the two slow songs. And then the rest that were was the up tempo and the middle and the mid tempo ones. But uh I do know that we consciously made sure to include a lot of room for Vic to solo. Some of the middle sections, the solo sections, um, are extended, you know. Yeah. I think I, I think I could be wrong, but I think the the American Dream guitar solo is like a thirty two bar solo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we just wanted to make sure and let him do his thing because you know, you can't get enough of that. And he's so tasteful in his playing. It just, it's, it, it, those solos build and they, and they go somewhere. They're not just a bunch of jamming. They're very, very, you can sing them back, you know? Yeah, no, he's, Vivian's been a great player for many years. He's one of my favorite guitar players. Yeah, yeah, me too. Fellow Irish man too, you know? <laughs> right. I got to look after my own. <laughs> yeah. But, um, I do want to ask you about a little bit about the debut album, Nick. Um, Rock, yeah. ha- Rock Handy remastered that a couple of years ago. Were you involved in that at all? No. Okay. Not at all. Okay. I'm just curious now because what would you do to that album if they were to ask you to remaster it or remix it? Would you do anything? Oh, God. I know I do. I wouldn't because it's, it's mixed it with that intention. And as a mixer, uh, I think that you build the result into the mix as you're constructing it. Constructed like a house, you know. Um, for me, I construct a mix starting with the low the low end elements and and build it up, you know, based on that. And so if you go altering that stuff, then it it changes a lot, you know? And when I listen back to that album, I I really like what it stands for and what's represented in that record. So I, I have no complaint about it. And I think that people respond to that record still. So yeah, I like it as is. Yeah. And where do you stand on the whole remaster remix debate? Because a lot of people want albums remastered. Other people want albums remixed, which will make it sound different. The remaster right. makes it sound louder. Like yes. are you someone yes. who just doesn't want to do either at all? Well, um, see, <laughs> what's funny is like you, if you listen to something on the radio, radio has their radio compressors across the the the, the broadcast, right? Yeah. And so it's pulling up as loud as as it can stand, anyways. You know, so if you have a, an album that doesn't have the super loud uh, processing to the master, it's still going to sound as loud on the radio as the one that is super loud and it's just being squashed down by the broadcast compressors. Mm-hmm. So I think the result still sounds, and, and I, I don't know about you, but sometimes when I hear the old classic rock uh, songs that come on the radio, they still sound so good, you know? Yeah. And um, so, you know, I, I think if, they, if you're listening in that context, then there, there's no reason to change it. You know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to appear as loud as your competition anyway. Then the effort would be just in context of um, of a playlist, you know, where you have 
some songs that were, are modern and were mastered real loud, and then your song comes on and it's a bit quieter, you know? Um, I just find that, that for me, the, those albums were done the way they were intended to, to be and just leave them as is. Now, a remix is different. A remix to me is intended to make it sound different than what you're used to hearing it sound like, right? Yeah. So it's not an attempt to to improve what's there. It's a, it's it's a, it's basically an attempt to just change it up and and give you a fresh take on that. And so I'm I'm all for that. Someone wants to do that, you know? Yeah. Yep. I another another thing that like I I, I get I, one of the things that we've had a lot of producers on the show. Like we've we did a project on Little Mountain Sound Studios in Vancouver. Like we have Bob Rock on and Mike Fraser on, and I'm always interested yeah. in the path that into the into production now are you someone who was just curious about how it worked on the other side of the glass or did you just want to expand your repertoire for your career in case the musician aspect of it fa- you know failed right right no my 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 thing was just i'm a technically minded person and uh i guess it all started when um when i moved from bass to uh to electric guitar when vivian uh, joined Def Leppard, uh, Riverdogs continued with uh, Bone and Absolutely Live, and um, we, we, you know, toured as as Riverdogs with a with a change in the bass player, and I just moved to guitar, mm-hmm. and um, so I put together my own rack with the with the pedal switching, you know, presets and all that stuff, and so Signal Path is something I was learning then about effects returns and all that stuff, and that interests me, and I kind of gravitated toward that. And then Rob um, had signed a publishing deal with Rondor Music Publishing, which was Herb Alpert and Jerry Moss from A&M Records, their publishing company. And they they were building like a, a big flagship uh, demo studio right there in uh, West West LA, um, La Cienega and Beverly, right there in the in in West Los Angeles, and it was going to have. Uh, be a pretty big facility with gear that they were pulling in from A&M Records Studios and and uh, Rob said, you know, you you might want to check out that studio because um, it's going to be really nice and they need some people working in there. And so I went down and checked it out and uh, and um, I, I interned for three months, but within a year I ran the entire studio. I was like head engineer for Herb Alpert. Wow. Um, and, and, the, and, and not not because I was great or anything, but just because I was so interested. And for me, I finally got my hands on some real recording equipment and I just wanted to learn everything about it. And, um, at the time computer recording was brand new. Um, and they did a lot of, uh, MIDI and, and, uh, samplers following along with the two inch tape, um, simply code and all that kind of stuff. And, and so I was learning all that stuff, and I think they thought, well, this guy's learning all of this, and we can just have him run the studio because he's 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 kind of got his hands on all of it. And so uh, that what happened was I was staying after hours working on my own stuff. So I was writing songs and then trying ideas on my own songs rather than trying it on uh, songwriters' demos on their on, on their clock, basically. So in doing that, I, I accumulated quite a few original songs and that sounded, you know, somewhat good, like finished and everything. And through that, I got, uh, uh, my production work started. Um, I got signed to world's end management by Sandy Robertson out in Los Angeles, who, who I think Don was, and myself were signed the same day, you know, to them. And then the next thing you know, I'm working with Avril Lavigne on her first record, and then Woody and the Blowfish, and then Rolling Stones, wow. and uh, uh, well, I did Everclear, uh, two two of their records, Garbage, was assistant on some of their stuff. So yeah. it it just kind of started in, you know. So fi- final question, Nick, before I leave you go, a lot of yeah. the producers have told me that the hardest thing going from being an engineer to a producer is dealing with the people and the egos. How, how steep right. a learning curve was that for you? Well, it's, um, I've run into a little, a little bit of that before. And my philosophy is 
I'm not, my, my ego is not to butt heads with somebody to get my way because it's not my record. Ultimately, it's theirs. So I'm, I'm more of a facilitator in my philosophy of producing. I want to let you, you know, fulfill your goal for this record and I can help you get there. That's, that's the way I like to do it. Okay, excellent. All right, well, I'll leave you go. Um, it's been great talking to you, and uh, have a good rest of the day, and I hope all the other interviews go well for you. And the album's brilliant, by Thank the way. Thank you. The album's fantastic. Thank you Love so much, Ricky. All right, take care right. of yourself, Nick. Okay. Bye. Okay. All right, so uh, there you go, uh, Richie's great interview with Nick Brophy. Hope you guys enjoyed that one, and uh, if you haven't done so already, you probably want to go out and uh, get the uh, that new River Dogs. Is it, can we California. still call it new? California. It's been out since, what, June? No, it's July 7th, I think. Was it? Yeah. Oh, okay. It's, a, it's really good. It's excellent. But yeah, definitely go out and uh, go out and get that. And uh, if you ever want to see what else Nick has done, definitely go up to like Wikipedia, take a look, and you'll see like, holy crap, the amount of stuff he's done. Garbage. His, uh, he's quite worked a lot yeah. of fucking shit up at Rolling yeah. Stones. Yeah, definitely not, you know, <laughs> not exclusively like a hard rock metal guy. He's really crossed all over, you know, a lot of, a lot of pop stuff and, and things that, uh, that, he had, that he's done. But definitely an in, in-demand guy. Got to pay the uh, bills. Yeah, that's right. Um, but uh, that's, you know, there you go. There's the Nick interview. Next week, though, uh, got a, a really, really good interview to show you guys, and that's uh, Richie did an interview with Sylvie Simmons, and that's going to be our Kerrang, what, number six? Five. I think it's six. Six, whatever. <laughs> it's, it's a two-parter because um, she lives in San Francisco, which makes it a lot easier for me because like, we're living here in this U.S. And um, So I talked to her first time. And then she said, if I had any more questions, I think I talked for 55 minutes with her the first time around that. Yep. Um, and then she said, if I had any more questions to, uh, like she'd talk to me again. Yeah. And the next time I talked to her for an hour and 15 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, and, you, and it just in the first one that um, I've already gone through, I mean, you guys covered a lot of stuff. She's very... Very open, very talkative. Um, might be one of the best uh, parts on the Kerrang! thing we've done so far. Uh, I think Derek Oliver was a little bit guarded um, because he's still in the industry. Yeah. And he was he was okay in parts. In other parts, he was a little bit brief. Yeah. Well, I can understand that. Yeah, where I get at. it. But I thought Sylvie was just... I don't know. I think I think her personality came through in the interview. Well, she's still in the business. Hmm. She um she writes now for Mojo and all yeah. these different. She has like she's a well known name, right? As a, but as a I, but I just think a, that a interviewer that the, the personality came out, and that makes a great interview. Um, you know, you, you, it's easier to see a personality when you're watching a video interview. Mm-hmm. But I think that the audio that you did on this one, the questions and the responses and kind of the back and forth, I think really brings out a, a good personality. Yeah, there. she was so even was really more well open done. on the second one because I'd already spoken to her. Yeah. Um, that's the problem with doing, you know, interviews like this sometimes is if you don't get them in the first five minutes and they know what the hell's going on, yeah, they might just give you two-line answers. Mm-hmm. And what you'll, what you'll find is she's really good in the first one, but... We get more. We get a lot more specific in the second one about bands mm-hmm. and venues and stuff like yeah. that. And she really does open up about. And and another thing about the second one, I think after the first one, she probably thought about a lot of this stuff. Yeah. And then knew I was going to come back and ask her, mm-hmm. and she was able to remember a lot more. Yeah, well, she, she talks about having stories. the book and and like going back. And she even said to you, oh, "I'll have to go back and look that up." Oh, she's ev- she's everything filed. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. The rest of the guys like. Yeah. Forget it. It's too far away. <laughs> 1980s? I don't fucking remember that yeah. shit. You know? But yeah, Sylvie, um, two-parter. And they're both long, and, but they're both well worth hearing. Yeah, they're, they're and they'll definitely excellent. be, uh, you know, straight out, all interview, no music. Yeah. Because uh, there's, there's, like I said, there's just plenty of content there. It's, it's going to be a great listen. But uh, that is what is up for next week and um, probably the week after that. We'll see. Okay. Well, there's other stuff already in the can. Mm-hmm. So usual shit we don't take a break (laughs) (laughs) you you might be moving but we we, the show keeps moving forward and you know I had interviews I turned down Mm. I'll be honest with you 
I was like, really? I, like, I, I was offered Frankie Benali. I'm like, no, hmm. not going there for a lot of different reasons. But anyway. <laughs> All right. Well, that wraps it up, though, for this week. We're glad to be back. And, uh, you know, we're back on the week we promised we would be. So uh, yeah. I think we're, uh, we're doing pretty decent surprised. there. I'm actually a little bit surprised, but pleasantly surprised, I'll be honest. Because when you're moving, you kind of say, oh, yeah, yeah, two weeks. And I'm like, yeah, two fucking months. Yeah, I after after getting the bed set up, getting the studio was the next thing set up. So that was set up before. <laughs> like, you took a week off. That work. was even set up bef- before TV or anything else. We were sleeping at the, the desk, were you? So. <laughs> All right. So, uh, anyways, that'll wrap it for this week. So, uh, this is Scott I'm Richie saying, "Have yourselves a great middle week." And until we talk to you again next week, remember focus on metal. Everything else is insignificant. Still here? It's over. Go home.